Amen. Like I said, we're finishing up Colossians chapter 2, so we'll be in verses 20 and 21 today, uh, and 22 and 23. Okay, so this is probably my favorite three or four verses in the whole Bible. I've never said that before. I'm so excited about these few verses because they're, they're just so powerful. They mean so much, okay? So t- the title of today's sermon is No Touchy. So who, who knows where that's from? Huh? The Emperor's New Groove. Right. Good job. No Touchy. But with that, with that what we're going to be talking about is this thing called asceticism. And aren't you glad I didn't name it asceticism? Because no one can even say that word, right? But asceticism is the idea that if you avoid certain things, you'll be more holy. That God is going to like you more if you withhold pleasures and fun things from yourself. If you are a big bummer, <laughs> if you have no fun, that God is somehow more pleased with those kind of people. Uh, so no touchy. Paul, you know, as we've been going through this little section here in Colossians, he's been warning us about things that will ruin your spiritual life. And every one of you has a spiritual life. You know, before you know Christ, that spiritual life is dead. But once you come to know Christ, he makes you alive and you have a spiritual life. But there are pitfalls. There are things that will choke out your spiritual life. And we need to avoid those things. And Paul has been teaching us that the only way that we can stay really safe in our spiritual life is if we cling to what? Jesus. If we cling to Jesus exclusively. That's the only way that we can keep clear of all the pitfalls to spiritual life. The first one we talked about two weeks ago was legalism. You know, that if you do these things and you follow these rules, that'll make you more spiritual. But we learned that that was wrong because all those laws were just a shadow of the real thing. And the real thing is Jesus. So Jesus does away with all those laws. And he says, just follow me and fall in love with me. And you will naturally, by nature, do all the things that God wants you to do. So he fixes that whole thing. We're free from all those religious rules and traditions because we have a real relationship with Jesus and we we actually do what's right, not because we're being told, do this, but because we love Jesus. And that's that's why our behavior changes because our heart has been changed. Anyone experience that? That we love Jesus now? Amen. That's a big thing. The second pitfall to avoid that we learned about was weird spirituality or mysticism. And uh, this was that idea that, that, that you need to have some secret knowledge or angels or demons or spells or, or weird stuff you see in churches that, oh, if you have this weird experience, then that's what will make you really spiritual. But Paul says, don't, don't fall for that trap. There's no feelings that, that measure spirituality. You, they don't do that. Spirituality is what, uh, it, it comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and he doesn't mess around with games or with weird things. Yes, there are angels, and yes, there are demons, but they are not the source of spirituality because you are complete in Jesus. 
your spirituality is like a giant tube flowing from God to you. His life. And Jesus is that tube. He is the one giving you all of your spirituality. You don't have to look anywhere else to be really spiritual. Well, the third and final that we're going to learn about today, pitfall to spirituality, I'm going to call it humanism. Other people call it asceticism or Basically, it's this idea that it's by my efforts, I can get better. And this one, I think, is the most important for us to learn about. By my effort, I can become better. By my efforts, I can become more spiritual. It all depends on me, how much I can deny myself, how much I can desire it and sacrifice and get really spiritual. It all depends on me. And that's what we call humanism or asceticism. Especially if I can avoid really bad things, you know, or if I, things I say are bad, that's really going to show how spiritual I am. Humanism is hard to spot sometimes because it can take the form of really religious stuff like asceticism, like legalism, they kind of all fall under this umbrella of, of um, legalism. So the, the two words that we're talking about, asceticism and legalism, I want to just define them for you. So Wikipedia, which is a perfect source of all things to know, not always, but it's pretty good here. It says asceticism is the teaching that spirituality is attained through renunciation of physical pleasures and personal desires. While, while concentrating on spiritual matters. It describes the practicing of strict self-denial as a measure of personal and spiritual discipline. So in all of that, the source of it is human. The source of spirituality in, in asceticism is human. I want, you to, I want you guys to be good at finding what is the source of what we're talking about right now. If the source is human, then it's not coming from God. I want you guys to know that. Be aware, be aware of it. Uh, legalism is the second term that we're talking a lot about, and that says that spirituality is attained through strict following of rules. It tends to promote self-righteousness and pride and hypocrisy, which are some of the most hated attitudes of God. God hates those attitudes, right? He does not like pride or hypocrisy or uh, and the source of legalism is also human. Source is human. So these two ideas, human legalism and asceticism, they don't work to make anyone more like Jesus. Jesus is the epitome of what being spiritual really is, and he's perfectly righteous. But these these outward things, like these ideas of asceticism and legalism, they're only outside, external, and they fail to cleanse what's inside our heart. But Jesus actually fixes our hearts through his love and through his grace. These ideas, they don't set us free, but Jesus sets us free. If you think being more godly depends on what you do, on following more rules, or on stopping doing other things, 
you have become a prisoner to man's way of, of salvation. But when you believe that salvation is found in Jesus and what he already did on the cross and he offers it freely to you, he says, I forgive you and I will work and change you from the inside out if you abide in me and if, 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 if you trust me. Then you have been set free from human salvation, human religion. And now you are following Jesus, which is the source of real religion. Jesus was pretty harsh with legalists and asceticists. I can't even say these words. Humanistic people in his day. I'm going to read to you what Jesus said. Woe to you, this is in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, with an exclamation point. He's pretty angry. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, by the way, I got three jokes about hypocrisy. People are hypocrites. My friend called me a hero for donating. My, uh, my friend got called a hero for donating a kidney, but when I, turned a, when I turned up to donate 10 kidneys, they called me a monster. <laughs> There's three types of people I hate. It's people who can't count and hypocrites. You like that one, Beth? I got a good laugh. <laughs> good job. My grandfather says I'm too reliant on technology. I called him a hypocrite and unplugged his life support. <laughs> that was dark, I know. That was kind of dark. Oh, well. All right, so now that we're ready, now that we've laughed and cried and been moved, let's read our text for today. Colossians 2.20. Therefore... If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're just going to start at the beginning and break it down and see what is being told. Therefore, if you died with Christ, if and since are both the same word in Greek, and since would be a good term here. This is the truth of the gospel. What he's starting out with here is the gospel. So if you believe in Jesus, you're believing in the gospel. What that means is you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, you died on the cross with him. What part of you? The part of you that was sinful. The part of you that was broken. All the part of you that deserved to die. It did die with him on the cross. That's what the gospel is. That's the very simplest way to describe the gospel. You died with Christ. What happened to Jesus happened to you. 
And that happens by faith. Because you say, well, I, didn't, I wasn't even alive 2,000 years ago. How could I die on the cross with Jesus 2,000 years ago? And God says it's a whole thing that happens by faith. By faith, God transports all that was bad and evil about you through time and space to Jesus on the cross. And it's paid for and it's killed. Done away with And Jesus offers us that forgiveness and grace through that death. He died, we died with him. That old sinful life that we inherited from Adam, it died there. And so the gospel becomes true for us when we believe and trust in Jesus exclusively. So there's your first question you should think about today. Do I believe in that? Do I believe Jesus died for me? I believe I died with him on the cross. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in him. Is that true of me? That's the first question you should consider today. We were crucified with him is what this declares. And and the the first verse that we're going to reference is Galatians 2.20, which helps explain what Paul means. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's how Jesus died. He was crucified on a cross. It is no longer I who live now, but Christ lives in me now. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that there's, there's a now thing happening and there's a past thing happening. What happened in the past? Jesus died on the cross. And apparently I died on the cross there with him. And then what happens now? Now, he says, I live, I'm loved. That's the now. I get to live, and I am loved. Guys, is that what your now looks like? Is that what you, are you living that right now? Are you living, are you alive with the life God intends you to live and has given you? Are you loved Do you have a deep, real sense of how much God loves you? Is that what you wake up with in the morning? Man, God loves me so much. Is that what you go to sleep with at night? God is faithful and loves me so much. It can be. That's the intention. So now I live by faith in the Son of God. Are we living by faith now? My old life was simply what I inherited from Adam, but the gospel gives me new life that I inherit from Jesus, and it lives on the inside of me, and it comes out just like my old Adam life did. So all of us were descended from Adam, and we do the same things Adam did, which is sin and rebel and be selfish and all the things Adam gave us. But when that part of us dies on the cross, we get to live a new life with a new internal life, which is from Jesus, where he obeys God. He's loved by God and loves God and has a relationship with his Father. And that's what we get. We get a replaced life because our old life was murdered on the cross. So you know the greatest objection I hear to this? Anyone want to take a guess? My old life doesn't look like it was murdered on the cross. 
I still do old life things. So how can all of this be true? How can it be true that my old life was murdered on the cross if I see my old life still doing things that are bad and sinful today? It is true. Because God says it was true. And that's where we have to trust him. What is actually happening when we do old life things is that we, our flesh has just learned to behave that way and we have to train our life, our whole being to now walk in the truth that the Holy Spirit has given us. Not just, um, um, it, it doesn't just, our flesh doesn't just go away. Our flesh, our body is still alive. But the internal heart has changed Our heart has been made new. So this is what we can know. When you have a desire that's wrong, and all of us do, we can know that that desire did not come from our spirit. But where did it come from? Our flesh or the enemy? Those are the only things, okay? So what we say is that Jesus changes our spirit so we are free to walk in that spirit and follow that spirit. And we can know where the source of things comes from. If it's to glorify God and, and do what his will, then that's from his spirit. But if it's to sin, then that's coming from an external source, either the devil giving us an idea to do something or our own flesh. And God says, you are free to walk in the spirit and don't walk in your flesh. Just walk in your spirit. And it will, that's how this is supposed to work. So what does this mean for me? If my old man was murdered on the cross, what does that mean for me? Well, Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, right? Murdered, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer should be slaves of sin. So that's what I just explained. We don't have to be slaves of sin. We have a spirit inside us that wants to do what's right because it's God's Holy Spirit and it only wants holy things. So we can, we are free to walk in that spirit and we are no longer a slave of sin. See, you have a choice now. You don't have to sin. Now we do sin, but because we're learning to walk in his spirit and God has grace for that. So, Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are you seeing the theme? God had one solution for our sin nature, which we call the flesh, and that was to kill it. God didn't have a, God's plan wasn't to reform you or to make you better or to put you through a school to teach you how to change and not be a bad person anymore. God's plan was to kill your flesh, to kill that nature. And he did it. That's what Jesus did. He murdered our flesh and our sin nature. He took the power away from sin. In other words, he changed our nature. Instead of being sinners by nature, we are now saints. We have a desire to do what's right inside us, but we have a battle because that old desire, we can still sense it. It's like still there. 
Before Jesus, we were slaves of sin. There was no way out, no escape from its power. After Jesus, we are free from the penalty of all the sin. We're free from the power of all the sin. We are free to do God's will and not our own sinful will anymore. That's what freedom is. Freedom isn't, I get to do whatever I want. Watch me go. Freedom is, I can actually I've been set free to serve God, to do God's will and not my own. That's what real freedom is. This is the greatest truth of the gospel. Jesus takes our sin and shame and replaces it with love. Love. And now we can really grow in righteousness really serve God, we can really change because of love. God brings us into this love relationship where nothing you can do or have ever done is counted against you, but you are accepted and loved. And it's, it, it really sets us free and gives us the grace that we need. And all we do is we simply respond to his love with love. We conserve him and follow him and adore him and worship him because that's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. What's the difference between that and rules and religion? Let me tell you. If you're married, how many guys in here are married? Almost everybody. Do you want your spouse to honor you and hang out with you and love you and remain faithful to you because they have to or because they love to? I know BK just made a snide comment. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I can guarantee you, you do not want to be married to someone who's staying with you because they have to. Ugh, I hate this guy, but I'm married to him. I have to stay with him. What a goober. The old ball and chain. Gosh, that does not describe a loving relationship to me. A perfect union of will and love. I, that's not what that sounds like. I have to stay. No. What we see in marriage is supposed to be a picture of willing submission and love. Self-sacrifice and agape love. Hey, guys, let's not play around, okay? Thanks. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, all right, so that's what our text says. And what does this mean? It means this is the way the world generally works. You get what you put into it. You, you get what you deserve. You guys, an eye for an eye, right? Law-based logic. With God, you, you put in a lot, and God's going to give you a lot back. That's not what the Bible actually says. That's not what, what this is all about. We have died with Christ from that basic principle, the way the world generally works. Because if, if we only get what we deserve, we don't deserve to be loved. We don't. We have failed. If we're, if we're doing this by measuring and by trying hard, we can't, we'd have to earn that, and we have not earned that. 
Therefore, we've been removed from the basic way of doing things by the gospel because the gospel doesn't make sense because the gospel gives good things to bad people. And that's us. Bad people. Undeserving people. By the death of Jesus, our shared death with him, we get all of his grace. So he says, therefore, since you died, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, rules, laws? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle restrictions, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. The pitfall that we're talking about here is thinking that you can, by yourself, in your own effort, somehow become more spiritual and become better by avoiding things that you think you should avoid. No touchy. And that's where spiritual life comes from. That's this pitfall. Well, does that mean that we can just partake in any kind of sin that we want? Is that what the gospel is? And the answer is no. Check it out. Because... It's not, that's not where spiritual life comes from either. Spiritual life doesn't come from saying, no, I'm not going to partake in this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wear pants and I'm not going to wear, get tattoos. And there's been all kinds of things that people have said, this will make me more spiritual. But it's a spiritual life doesn't come from that. But spiritual life also doesn't come from, let me just do whatever I want. Let me just indulge in absolutely everything. That's also not the source of spiritual life. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Don't get tricked into going to a false well to get your water. Your spiritual life comes from Jesus alone. So they say, you know, don't touch. That was in our text, which means You know, stay away from, stay far enough away. Don't touch it with a six-foot pole. And this is where you you get that attitude of, that person is dirty, don't touch. I'm not going to give them a hug. They're gay. They're bad. They're dirty. And I am holy, so I got to stay away from them. And God says, no, that, that is not the source of spiritual life. How about don't taste? Don't lick a homeless person. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) Don't taste, but that's really referencing don't partake in this drink or that food or this will make you more spiritual if you avoid all those things. No, it won't. Or how about don't handle? No, don't play with that. You're playing with fire. You're playing with this. Okay, that's also not going to give you spiritual life. But then we go to the opposite. Well, then if I'm not supposed to, then I'm not playing with anything. I'm not going to have fun at all. And I'm going to be the saddest, most boring person. When I have to get to heaven, I'm going to say, look, Jesus, I was sad and boring just for you. And he's going to say, loser, why would you do that? That's not what I commanded you to do. And that's not what having a real spiritual life was all about. Did you know that Jesus, it says, a prophecy of Jesus in the Psalms, that his, he would be anointed with the oil of joy more than his fellows? which means, in our language, he was the happiest person ever to live. The happiest person to ever live was Jesus. He knew that he could enjoy life, and he did. These rules, don't do this, are not life-giving. Let me give you two examples in history. The guy named Anthony, the founder of Christian monastic, you know, monks, 
Okay? People, you know, uh, just hit their face. He never changed his shirt or washed his feet in his entire life because he thought it would make him more holy. But he was outdone by Simeon Stylitis. He lived in 390 to 459. He spent the last 36 years of his life on top of a 50-foot pole sitting there for 36 years. Simeon mistakenly thought that the path to spirituality lay in exposing his body to the elements and withdrawing from the world. And that's what he thought would make him holy. Now, I've never met anyone that crazy, but I've met people that crazy. I met people that have so many rules that they may as well be on top of a 36-foot pole or a 50-foot pole because they are not touching anybody and they are not living their life at all. They are so disconnected from culture and people and their neighbors who God said we were supposed to love that they're, they're just gone. I met those people. And if we're not careful, we can think that that makes us more holy. Um, I look at all the things I don't do, and Jesus is like, bro, has nothing to do with that. And today, you know, people, uh, people try to reform things and sign pledges. You've been to a church, it's like, stand up or sign this pledge or put yourself under these rules or these regulations to, to starve your body or to avoid things that could be fun or to inflict physical suffering on yourself even. You get really militant. Little by little, you will become more and more spiritual as you, as you avoid these bad things. That'll make you more spiritual. And then they sing songs like this. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. That's actually a song that's out there. And that song has no clue what the gospel says. It doesn't understand what the gospel is. It's humanism. I am getting better. You can't improve on the gospel. It does it all. No amount of self-control, no physical suffering, whatever, can change a carnal mind, which the scripture calls our flesh, our mind, our heart, our emotions. These things, so let's read our scripture now, our text, where it says these things, all these rules and humanistic things, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look good. Oh, we're a church that doesn't do that. Our house doesn't doesn't do that. We don't watch that. We don't look at that. We don't handle that. We don't have any fun. They have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Humanism is always concerned with the outside. The outside. And, and about what man can produce on their own. But God says it's pointless. It's pointless. Paul teaches us that humanism fails in five ways. The first way is that it has an appearance of wisdom. You look like a better person if you don't do this or if you do do that. It looks like a better way to live life. 
like, don't drink. Don't hang out there, and you'll be a better person. I'm not saying that you should drink or you should hang out there. What we're saying is that neither are the source of spiritual life. I'm saying if you make a rule that you shouldn't, you've missed the whole point that the love of God has planned for your life. If you make a rule and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Christian by following this rule, you're just like the husband or wife who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay faithful because I have to. Not because I want to. Not because he loves me so much I can't help but loving him. But because I have to. And that's not what God is going for. In fact, God refuses to allow us to connect with him in that way. He's, he's pretty a big stickler on this point. You will not get spiritual life if you think it's coming from yourself or from your rules or your performance. It's just not going to happen, guys. It only comes from my son, Jesus. So what is God's plan for our life? Do everything out of love. That's the true wisdom of Christ. That's These things have an appearance of wisdom. Look, it looks like I love Jesus because I don't do these things. Look, it looks like I love Jesus. But Paul says, just love Jesus. That's where spiritual life comes from. Do everything out of love. That's the true wisdom of Christ, not the appearance of wisdom that men come up with and then we try to imitate other people's wisdom. God says, you're loved. That's it. Don't ask what rules I must follow. Ask, what is the most loving thing I can do? So Paul basically says, in your life as a Christian, God has removed the law. You don't, you don't have a law. But you do have the law of Christ, which is different. It's the law of love, which says, I'm not going to give you what to do in each situation, but I am going to give you this. Ask yourself, what is the most loving thing that I could do in this situation? And go do that. Tell me, are you going to go defraud your neighbor if you're asking yourself that question? Are you going to do anything that would violate God's law if you are asking yourself, what's the most loving thing I can do? And you actually go and do that? No, that's what works. That's how the gospel works. When you love God and you love others because that's what God's put in your heart, and you're free to do what's in your heart. You're free. You are set free. There's no rules. And you will be rewarded for all the good things you do in your life out of that love, motivated by that love. God says you'll be rewarded. But you're not even going to be punished for when you don't. That's how free this grace is that God gives us. Because we have been set free. God says, this is just a reward thing. I, you can live your life to love others and loving me. And I'll reward you richly and handsomely for that. Because you're honoring me and you're, you're going to just get your fill of spiritual reward for that. So it has an appearance of wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of Christ. The wisdom of Christ is so much better. Secondly, it's self-imposed religion, which means God did away with, with law and replaced it with the new covenant of grace. So don't try to go back to uh, 
thinking and acting humanistically. God doesn't command these rules. He commands that all, he does command that all men everywhere repent and believe the gospel. Let me read two verses to you. He says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. What does repent mean? It means to, the word actually means to agree with God, to change your direction. So I was thinking this was right. Now I agree with God that this is right. And so that's what the turn is. The turn is what I believe, okay, to agree with God. And then Mark 1.15, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That helps us understand what repent means. It means I agree with God that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, but I agree with him that I died on the cross with Jesus, and now I agree with him that he loves me and that he loves me perfectly, and I can never lose that. And I'm going to agree with what he says about me. The third thing this teaches us is uh, false humility is where humanism fails. Humanism looks nice. Oh, look. (gasps) They are holy. Look how... Look at the things that they do. They must be super spiritual. They always carry their Bible with them. They don't ever breathe. Look how holy they are. Just kidding. See, you're not going to get life from that. (laughs) Look how much pain they put themselves through. You know what? Who gets the credit when people look at you and say, look what they're doing? Who gets the credit from that? We get the credit. That's why it's called humanism. Because man is getting the credit. It's all sourced from man. Makes sense, right? And the fourth thing is is this humanism has a neglect of the body. Only a really spiritual person could say no to something that feels good or something that is comfortable or delicious. And that's wrong. Bad people do all kinds of things all the time to deny themselves. And so do hypocrites and religious people. It says in verse 5, but these are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. No value. That means worthless, pointless. Don't even think about it. These rules cannot help anyone to become more spiritual. They actually make us more fleshly. You know what? I've become a Christian, so no more. I'm putting a rule in my life. I'm not hanging out with that person anymore. I'm not doing these things. Oh, how wonderful. You've just screwed it all up. You can't do that. You cannot think that being a Christian means rules give you life. Because they don't. That's what Paul is teaching so so clearly and powerfully here. These rules, all they do is they give your flesh something to brag about, which means live in pride, which means keep you away from the gospel of grace because God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. So rules don't work. Want me to prove it to you? Do not look at me right now. See, you're guilty. Just kidding. Has anyone ever told their toddler not to do something? How well does that work? It only highlights the truth of the gospel, which is that we, rules do not work, yet we think that they work. 
And there's whole churches based on we have a rule. Seventh-day Adventists, our rule is you have to go to church on Saturdays or you're going to hell. They made up their own rule. And they think that that's what gives spiritual life, and it doesn't. It gives our flesh something to brag about because guess what? I like rules, but I only like rules that I can keep. I don't like the other rules that I don't like to keep because I can't keep them. And my flesh likes people to think I'm cool and great. Even my flesh likes people to think I'm a good Christian. My flesh likes that. My flesh doesn't care if it's being indulged by getting drunk and sleeping with prostitutes or by looking like a good Christian and everyone's like, oh, you're so wonderful. My flesh indulges in both of them. I haven't done one of them, but... (laughs) It's kind of out there. Um, But the flesh, it doesn't care if it looks bad or good. It just wants attention, and it just wants glory, and it just wants to be satisfied. And the problem with rules is they give your flesh a chance to be satisfied. So the way to deal with sin is not by putting a rule on top of it like a Band-Aid that does not deal with sin. What does deal with sin? Jesus. Jesus does. Apply him. Okay, if I see my friend getting drunk, I I cannot go up to him and say, just don't get drunk anymore. I hope that that's what will be the end result, but what I have to do is I have to give the gospel to my brother who's a Christian, and say, Jesus satisfies you. Why are you drinking too much? Let's ask the question, why do you feel like you need to escape or deaden some pain? What is it that you need from Jesus so that drinking is not your idol? Because Jesus will give it to you. Because Jesus is what you need. And this is what ministry is, is giving people Jesus, not giving them rules. Rules are not ministry Can I get an amen? They aren't. Does that mean we can't have rules for our kids? No. You have to have rules for your kids. Amen. (laughs) This is not the way that government works, and this is not the way that family, uh, like, houses work. You have to have rules in those type of contexts. But when it comes to spirituality and your relationship with God, it is not based on rules. Have I beaten a dead horse enough? Do you guys get it? Okay. Because that's not how grace works. These rules give us a false sense of security and spirituality, but the flesh cannot be starved into subjection. It can't be improved by, by rules. Even Bible rules. Oh, but that one's in the Bible. That doesn't work either. 1 Peter 2.11 is what we'll close with, and it says, But as we walk in the Spirit and fill our minds with thoughts of the risen Christ, we are delivered from the power of fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's what 1 Peter 2.11 says. We are delivered from those things by Jesus. So how does grace work? Grace works by humility. God gives grace to the humble and by faith. We, we trust in God, and we trust in what Jesus did. And God gives us everything else. God unites us to Jesus, 
And he gives us Jesus' heart and Jesus' mind. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gracious love because there is nothing that we can do to ever earn it. There is absolutely nothing we could do to deserve it. And Lord, it's the only way and source and path to real spiritual life through humility and faith. Lord, we, uh, we just want to open up our, our hearts to you. We want to offer you uh, just uh, to, to make our heart your home, Lord. We want you to be comfortable uh, because you have loved us so much. We are inviting you in to dwell and to live with us. We want to know your love more deeply. We want to know what you have given us more clearly. We want to experience your love practically. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, the what you can do through a changed heart is so much more powerful than what a law can do, what a rule can do, what a regulation can do. What you can do is truly transform and, and pour your love into us so much that we delight to do your will. Help us, Father, to delight to do your will. Help us to delight in your love more than anything else. Help us to worship you like we worship nothing else. Keep us, steer us clear from idols and from things that we should not do, but help it all to be motivated by your love, by the freedom you give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.